0: Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. And we're back on the College Football Survivor Show, now free every episode wherever you find podcasts. Thanks for joining us. Again, we had this Apple Podcast bonus episode once a week since the start of the show, Shahan. We now said no bonus. There's no bonus. It's all for everybody all the time. So you'll be getting two episodes a week free in your podcast feed from me, from Shahan. And today we're talking about the expanded SEC, Shahan. And we have the news that they finally worked it out. Oklahoma and Texas are going to join the SEC in 2024. So this will be the final year of the SEC as it's currently constituted with 14 teams. And we want to think about when they start in 2024. We're going to rank what we think will be the healthiest football programs in this new mega conference at that time, Shahan. You and I will both rank them one through 16, which is frankly an impossible task an impossible task because this conference is so jumbled. But the goal really, of course, is to try to figure out where Oklahoma and Texas are going to slot in to the power rankings of this new conference, because you think they should kind of be up there, but this is a conference that is hard to get a handle on. And by the way, once Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma, Oklahoma is a little hard to get a handle on right now, and Texas is always hard to get a handle on. So this is not an easy exercise, Sean.
1: No, I I think it's very confusing. I think that uh, another part of this, too, that I'm going to be very interested in is, again, when you go 1-16, to when you're looking at this entire swath of programs, there are going to be programs that are elite national championship programs That we have in the bottom tier, because that's just what this new conference is going to be. And so, you know, something that's always been really interesting to me. And and I think that a big part of this is just uh, also the time that I came into college football back in 2012 is I think that when there is a new realignment, there is an opportunity For a program to redefine itself in the pecking order. You know, we saw this with, uh, I I think we saw this in a big way with TCU and Baylor in the Big 12, obviously the conference that I covered back during that period. These were, you know, Baylor was a woebegone program, TCU was a group of five program. But with the realignment, they kind of took Texas Tech's spot in some way. Texas Tech was Hmm. the program of the 2000s. And I think now you had, uh, you know, not just to keep it in the Big 12, but, you know, you head into 2024 and 2023 and these new programs are going to come in. I think you look at Texas Tech as being on the opposite side of that. Now they've got a great coach who I think they feel good about. And so... This is such a key opportunity to redefine yourself. I think, uh, you know, a better example in the SEC might be Texas A&M comes in in 2012, immediately has success. And now we talk about them as one of these programs that should be contending for the SEC, even though that's never what they've been historically. So I, I think that this is such a huge opportunity for all these programs to, uh, to make that jump. But on the flip side again, it's also such a, a a big deal that each of these programs is going to have to avoid becoming the program that falls apart as well, because that is something that can take decades to undo.
0: We will do this same exercise with the new and expanded Big Ten maybe next week, and we'll look through what we think in 2024 when UCLA and USC come in, what that might look like in the Big Ten and who we think – what we think that pecking order will be in 2024. One of the things, though, before we get to our ranking, Shahan, is the SEC does have some stuff to figure out. They have a scheduling model that they have not decided on. Greg Sankey has been talking about it. He's been talking about it more lately since this news came out that Oklahoma and Texas are joining in 2024. The two options, he, he said that they explored up to 40 different models of how they might create a schedule here. In the end, it feels like they are down to two models for SEC scheduling because they are going to go to a single division. No more East and West. And I think the idea of pods, there was like a pod discussion for all these 16-team leagues that was very hot, theoretically, for a bit of time where you create these four four four-team pods. Within that pod, you play your pod every year and then you sort of it's like a space station and you're in your little pod and you, you release from the core space station. And you float out and you connect with a different pod maybe for a year. Then you play that pod. and it's just a way to work yourself through the schedule. It is a way to have – it's a shorthand for rivals you play every year and then rotating through the rest of the schedule. But there's a – you can do that without making pods. So I don't think people want pods anymore. I was way – I was into pods for a while. Is that how
1: uh, space stations work? Is that how satellites yep. work? Do you just dock them back and forth? Are they like Legos?
0: And then like, because you, you have the people in your pod, they're like your best friends. You got to live with them. You got to, you know, you play, you play Uno, stuff like that. And then you say, you know what? Let's go un unhook from this pod and go to another pod. <laughs> so it's just like, it's like the, uh, do you use on the Keurig, right? The The single serve coffee machines. Right, you get the pods, and then it allows you to rotate through the different flavors of coffee. Pods allow easy rotation and variety. It doesn't lock you in to a bag of coffee. It doesn't lock you in to everybody in the same space station. And and for a while, it felt like college football loved that idea. And now, and then they don't want it anymore. They want one big giant conference where you're going to wind up in a world where just like the Big 12 does now. Your conference championship game is going to be the top two teams in your conference. It's not like, oh, we had the weak division, we had the strong division, whatever, and you're not going to be doing pod stuff, although I like the pods. So then the choice within there is an eight-game conference schedule, which is what the SEC currently plays, where you protect one rival or a nine-game conference schedule where you protect three rivals and either way what that allows you to do is rotate through the rest of the conference every other year because if you have a if you have 15 opponents you're going to play if you have a nine game schedule. You play three of those nine games against the same rivals. Then you have six games left and 12 opponents. So that's like either every other year or you do a home and home and then another home and home. So it's every four years, but in a four year cycle, you would get a home game and a road game against every other team in the league. Or you can do it. You play one, you play a conference games, One is against a rival, then the other seven games rotate through the other 14 teams. So either way, Shahan, that's what everybody's interested in. They no longer want to have these situations with divisions where you're having cross-division rivalries, but then maybe you go eight or ten years without going to somebody else's campus. They want – every league wants this now. They want every team to be on every other team's campus once every four years minimum, which theoretically – in the four-year cycle of a college football player, if you stay that long, would get you that experience, and it would get the fans that experience. So both those do that. Which do you like better? What should they do? Nine conference games with three rivals, eight conference games with one rival.
1: Well, well let me first ask you this question. Tex m mm. entered the SEC in 2012. Can you name how many times they've played at the University of Georgia? Has it been twice? Once. They've wow. played Georgia... As much as Texas has played Georgia as a member of the Big 12 Conference. It is, this schedule and this model is so stupid the way that they have it set up right now. And obviously, the one thing that I'll say about the SEC is that this stuff is on purpose. And I don't mean that as a knock. They protect themselves better than any other conference. They create a scheduling model where, you know, you have these FCS games that are in the second to last week of the season so that you're really getting kind of a break there. Uh, you play an 8 games conference schedule. That's pretty bizarre, to be honest, in this day and age with that many good teams. But they do it to protect their teams. And frankly, at the end of the day, it's like, you have all these great teams, you have all these potential big matchups, so few of them actually get played because of the way that the SEC is set up, and I'm ready to be done with that. And I think that heading to a 12-team playoff helps with this because it means that you can sustain a loss and it be okay. I mean, the reality is the people who are really in hell are in this current model are... George, or or, sorry, our Auburn and Tennessee, who both have to play Alabama and Georgia every year. Well, you know, you look at other teams and they're matched up with Missouri in the cross conference slate, or they're matched up with Vanderbilt. And it's, it's just, it's crazy the way that this all kind of works itself out. So for me, I love the idea of guaranteeing a four year player gets to play in every stadium in a conference. It makes it feel like a real conference. And, you know, and for me, you know, like you mentioned, we have these two, uh, scheduling models that are kind of coming to the table right now. The one protected rivalry and the three protected rivalry. To me, I, I mean, look at the SEC. There are too many rivalries to just protect one. Like look at Texas, for example, Texas well, obviously the, the first priority is going to be playing Oklahoma. Like that's going to, that's not going away. That's a historic yearly game that's played in Dallas every single year. So you're just not going to play Texas and m every year? That sucks. You know, that's like the whole draw of coming back to this conference. You're not going to play Arkansas? Arkansas fans hate Texas. That's the biggest game on their schedule every year. And it, it's also just going to be like, how do you prioritize this stuff? Because, for example... Texas A&M is going to say, well, if we can't get Texas, our top rival is LSU. But LSU is going to say, well, our top rival is Alabama. And Alabama is going to say, well, our top rival is Auburn. And Tennessee is going to say it's Alabama. You know, so it's like, I I really like the idea of the 3-6. I think that that's the most effective way to go. But, you know, to get back just to the general question I like the idea that we are trying to move towards having one cohesive conference instead of these weird protected games where again, you go essentially a decade without playing some of the toughest teams in the other side of the division. That doesn't feel like a real conference to me.
0: No, I think there was a time when it made sense and I'm not even sure why it made sense. I mean, geography and travel. Like, I mean, I think travel
1: played a big part in it and that's just not a factor anymore.
0: No, I mean, it's right. when you are expanding your league from the Atlantic Ocean to Texas and when the Big Ten is expanding it from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean, the idea of like, well, you know, I try to have a cluster. And like, it doesn't make sense anymore. And I do think in the end, what, what has happened is that, though, the existence of divisions in this era of college football has amplified – the second tier rivalries because you have been in divisions with teams that you are now used to playing every year. So we could all go through whether it's the SEC or the big 10 or any conference, you could all go through and say, well, no matter what happens, these are the games that you have to play every year at all costs. You have to play Alabama, Auburn. You have to play the egg bowl every year, right? There are certain games, that. but then once you protect those, like you said, If you're only doing one and you're only protecting Alabama Auburn, which is the most important thing that the SEC has to do, you really would be missing something if Alabama's not going to be playing LSU every year because of what has transpired in this division situation. You'd be missing something if Alabama's not going to play Tennessee every year. And Ross Dellinger of SI did this last year, I think. He lined out what the probable – Three rivalries would be for everybody in the new and improved SEC. And it it takes care of business. Like it answers every question. Alabama would be Auburn, Tennessee, LSU. Great. Texas would be Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Arkansas. Great. Um, You know, Vanderbilt would get the Tennessee rivalry and then play Ole Miss and Missouri. So some of them, it's like you got to stretch a little bit, but it's still – It still all makes sense. He has Georgia as Auburn, Florida, and Kentucky. How can you have Georgia? Georgia's gotta play Auburn and Georgia's gotta play Florida. Like, how do you choose between those? And if you're doing one, it makes it tough. And clearly it wouldn't be Georgia Auburn because it's Alabama Auburn. And of course it would be Georgia, Florida. But again, you want that next tier. So the only thing Shahan is now you're committing to playing nine conference games instead of eight. That's taking an easy probable win off your schedule. And especially for the lower half of the SEC, that's a win that a coach might need to get to a winning record, to get to bowl eligibility at six and six to keep, you know, the people at bay when it's going poorly. I can understand that. But in this day and age where the 12 team playoff is going to let teams lose more often and in a world where the bowl system is so saturated, if the answer would have to be let five and seven teams go to bowls. Like, okay, fine. It's all – once you get down there, it's all an exhibition anyway. You've got to do the nine-game thing for the good of the league, for everything we just talked about. And whatever you think you're protecting with an eight-game conference schedule, just lower those parameters so you can make people fake happy with a weird five and seven bowl trip if that's really a big deal. And just let your president and your AD and your fan base understand – Listen, the schedule got harder. There's another possible loss on the schedule. Let's all understand the context, reevaluate what it means. And you can't expect me to go 10 and 2 every year when we're playing this many conference games in a conference this good. That's all they're worried about. So it's got to be 9 and 3, right? It's got to be. It's got to be 9 and 3. It's got to be 9 and 3. It's got to be 9.
1: The thing that will be interesting, like you mentioned, is. It's already not the greatest job to be a middle or lower tier SEC coach because of how difficult the path is. Well, like I, I think that when you look at and and we'll get to our list of the full sixteen to really kind of choose the bottom. But why would anybody at this point consider taking the Vanderbilt job? Why would anybody consider taking even maybe the Missouri job at this point? Right? Because you are in a position where previously. You only had to go two and six in conference to make a bowl game, which is a hilariously bad record to be able to make a bowl game. Well, now you know, if you do move to nine, and currently I think the SEC typically mandates or, or suggests that you play a power five non conference, like you're potentially then playing 10 non conference or 10 power five games, only potentially two guaranteed victories uh and even then guaranteed is obviously not a true guarantee that is that is brutal you have to win four games in con- uh, against power five teams potentially to do that and you know that's what that's why i think this discussion is still going on i mean you've got a 16 team conference and you're even having a thought and a discussion about having eight conference games i think that that is a testament to how impossible some of these lower-tier coaches know their jobs potentially could be uh, if this goes this way. And the other part of this, too, and and this is something that I'm going to be very curious about long-term, is obviously you look at Arkansas, you look at Mississippi State, you look at Missouri, they're going to have so much money. You know, we'll even, uh, again, next week with the Big Ten get into this. You know, Purdue and, and Indiana and whoever else, they're going to have so much money. They'll be able to money-whip most coaches I- in college football. But does that overcome a lack of a path for success? You know what I mean? Like, like is it a better job to get paid maybe more money to take the Missouri job as opposed to taking the Washington job or taking the, you know, the, the whatever, Virginia Tech job or something like that, where you have a pathway to potentially competing for a quote unquote lesser, less moneyed conference for less money. You know, it's such a weird calculus and I don't think that we have a good answer for that as yet.
0: No, I don't think we do. Again, it's the continuing discussion of changing the context of college football. You know, the big 10 went to nine conference games a couple of years ago. And for instance, this is just a, for instance, Maryland was eight and five this year and was four and five in the big 10. That should be viewed as a spectacular football season for Maryland. In a world where you're playing non-conference games and in your division you have Michigan and Ohio State who both made the college football playoff this year and Penn State who was a top 10 team and then you played Wisconsin as a cross rivalry. Michigan State is usually pretty good. So they beat Michigan State this year. They beat a couple other of the lesser Big Ten teams, Northwestern, Indiana, teams like that. And you go four and five, eight and five and they should have a parade for Mike Loxley. You can't look at that and be like, well, I mean eight and five. Four, it's not even a winning record in the Big Ten. It's like, what do you talk? So you have to be able to do that. You have to be to be able to celebrate sort of the individual victories over a team, over a program that's viewed as higher than you in the hierarchy, and realize that when you're demanding this of a team, you know, if you let, if Maryland was playing an old, you know, I don't know, an old ACC schedule, th- that might have been a, an 11 and two team, but you want to be in the better conference for the TV exposure for the enhanced recruiting, and mostly for the money. So then you have to understand that that's going to make it harder to win, and you've got to twist the lens on what success is. So Oklahoma and Texas are going to have to understand this a little bit, Shahan, and especially in the world where you can maybe get in to a 12-team playoff with two regular season losses, maybe even three regular season losses. This can't be like a, hey, Brett Venables, nine and three in the regular season. It's like we were the 11th best <laughs> team in the country. We're in the sec. We lost uh LSU, Alabama and Florida. Like you've got to chill because, and, and again, it's the NFL NFLification, you know, nobody, nobody in the NFL is like 14 and three. I mean, really three regular season losses. Come on people. Nobody does that. We're going to have to do that more. Shahad. We have to do that more or we're all going to drive each other crazy.
1: Yeah. Totally agree. And, uh, you know, with that, I kind of just want to
0: get into it. Then let's get into it. We'll do our rankings next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, Doug and Shahan are back. Let's start at number one. Sometimes we back into this. I will say we're not going to back into it here. I just I did this. I did the last five years. The last five years for all the programs here, their records. And most important in that is the conference records. It is just a little, it's not odd, it's just clear. Georgia and Alabama, the last five years in regular season SEC play, each have 37 SEC wins. Auburn, excuse me, not Auburn, Vanderbilt has six. Okay. <laughs> Georgia and Alabama have 37, Vanderbilt has six. And then, The other 11 teams are kind of all lumped together, at least in enough of a way to bring the rankings into question. And then Texas and Oklahoma would both kind of be thrown into that. So that is what we're talking about, Jahan. I think there's a clear top two in our ranking one to 16. And I think there's a clear 16. And then three through 15, I, especially we're trying to project to your head, this is health of the programs in 2024. That's what makes this, this is interesting. But I think part of this, Shahan, is, and Lincoln Riley leaving even made Oklahoma this way. I'm not sure the identity of any of the other, what will be 13 teams in the SEC in 2024 are locked in. We know who George is. We know who Alabama is. And we know who Vanderbilt is. The other 13, do we know who they are? Or could their identity flip somehow, whether it's a coaching change or not, in the next 18 months?
1: No, I absolutely think so. And, uh, you know, certainly I think that you look at sort of the middle and lower end that we'd consider I think there's some really good coaches, uh, you know, who are going to potentially be leading those programs in 2024 that I think also changes the way that you view some of these programs. And on the top end, uh, the flip side, right. You've got some, uh, some programs that you expect to be really, really good who don't necessarily have the guy in place and don't necessarily necessarily have momentum. So no, I absolutely agree. I think that there's going to be a lot of movement within that middle class. I think that, uh, You know, to me, I think that there is a lower tier potentially, but, you know, especially I'd say that, um, you know, from three to maybe 12, especially, I think that uh, that that could change
0: year in and year out. And just looking again, just this five year window, whatever you draw a line, whatever. There are only four coaches of these 16 teams who have been there the entire five-year period and are, and are going to be there again this season. You want to name those four? Nick Saban. That's
1: correct. Kirby Smart. Correct. Are, are we saying five-year, including 23?
0: No. So that so it's five years from 22-21, five, five years from 18 to 22. Okay, so it is 18 to 22. So that does mean Jimbo's there because 18 was his correct. first season. Yep. Yeah, so Jimbo's three.
1: Man, who is the fourth one? Um, oh, Mark Stoops, of course. That at is tricky.
0: So everybody else has had two, at least two coaches in the five-year period, which is what happens when there's a great big middle, that a team goes up and a team goes down, and that's not good enough and you're out of here. And so that is life in the SEC. And I actually think this is just going to be an entire reset for all of college football, Shahan, which is why it just makes sense for Oklahoma and Texas to be there in 24. It's the 12 team playoff. That's when the Big Ten's doing it. It just, it's gonna, it's a, it's a, the new world. The new world is starting in 2024. The Big 12 is getting a little jump by adding four teams in 2023, but it's gonna be a clear line and it really is a chance for everybody to take a breath, reset their expectations, and I think maybe chill out a little, a little bit. Chill out <laughs> on this thing where, you know, a bad year and a half might mean that a previously successful coach is gone. So anyway, we'll talk about that more as we talk about this middle. But who do you have number one? In 2024, as that season progresses, what will be in your mind the healthiest football program in the SEC?
1: I mean, how could it be anything but Georgia? Obviously, the the two-time defending national champions. And I think the other thing that gives them a slight edge over the number two team is that their coach is very young. Their coach is very young. He's still going to be under 50 by the time that 2024 comes around. So you're not going to be planning for a future at all. Uh, Like it's You're still going to be living in the present, even in 2024. So Georgia right now is the IT program in college football. And heading into 2024, I expect that to still be the case.
0: So Georgia won Bama 2 for both of us. I agree with that. And I think... We That would be our ranking also in all of college football. Is that correct? That if we're thinking – like that's where we are right now. Yeah. What is there anything – and I think the – not the problem. But even if one of those teams would have a little bit of a goofy 2023, I just don't know that there's anybody in the next tier ready to rise up and change that, and I don't exactly know – Could we envision that changing if we if instead of 2024 we said make this 2028, let's say, would we give much thought to like who who could rise up and really be healthier than Alabama or Georgia five years from now? Is that where an Oklahoma conversation begins that the best of Oklahoma or the best of Texas could challenge? alabama or georgia in a couple years or would that be difficult to imagine
1: so i think that in 2028 if this isn't the number one and two that is more about where alabama would be than it would be about another team rising uh obviously by 2028 if Nick Saban's not retired, I think we're having serious, you know, look, we've been saying Nick Saban's going to retire forever and he's still here. And uh, so like, maybe, maybe he'll just coach until he's a hundred. Maybe he's like a super Bill Snyder, who knows? But I think by 2028, you're saying if he's not gone, he's planning to be gone. And so to me, it's more a question of will Alabama fall back to the pack? I don't think that. Oklahoma or Texas or even you know other programs in the SEC right now at their best short of again like stuff that you can't expect you wouldn't have expected five years ago that Georgia would be this this but short of something like that happening which is always possible but I think unlikely I just don't think that a program in the rest of the SEC with the way that things are set up right now and I I just don't see a program who you could expect to reach the level of consistency of an Alabama. I mean, the reality is, uh, you know, and then I'll do this to mention my number three, which I think actually number three is going to be a really interesting discussion. You know, 2019, we had LSU, who had maybe the best team to ever play football. And that didn't change the pecking order, right? LSU just had an awesome team and then still was not as consistently successful as Alabama and Georgia. So this is not a one-year thing. Like You have to talk about a program having like three years of sustained success before they can even get into the conversation of competing with those top two. Because I do
0: think if we had this conversation five years ago and we were looking ahead, I think we would have been saying things like, well, Georgia. I think Georgia, because you would have looked at, the talent base and the head coach. And you would have said, I think they could have a chance to be something that I don't know that there, there is any program right now out of the top two that has the same combination of talent base and current head coach that would lead you to that same kind of, well, keep an eye on those guys. I think we all would have said the same thing about Georgia five years ago, which probably leads us to number three, which is where you think it is interesting. Yeah. And I might already be changing my mind on number three. Uh, Who's your number three? (laughs)
1: With my number three, uh, and just for context, I'm going with the, uh, I'm looking at the program in terms of what it is, what its floor is, what its ceiling is. I also am paying attention to how stable I feel the coaching situation and roster situation is. And so for that reason, I'm going with LSU. LSU, in Brian Kelly's first season, made it to the SEC championship game, won the SEC West. Uh, I think that Brian Kelly is going to set an incredibly high floor underneath this program that expects to compete for 10 wins every single year, even in a nine-game conference schedule. Uh, In a 12-team playoff, I expect them to be right there every single year. The question with Brian Kelly is always going to be, can he get his team to actual national championship level? But you know, this was year one and it was, it was a pretty dang good start. So, uh, for me, I have LSU as that number three team right now.
0: So I guess the question is, you know, Nick Saban was there for five years and then Les Miles was there for a decade plus in, in this era. I mean, Brian Kelly is a pretty established dude. You know, I, I, it's just a different situation than Kirby Smart in Georgia 5 years ago. It's just different. So a lot of a lot of this discussion is just whether you think the Brian Kelly at LSU thing is going to work. Cocho was probably Cocho was more boom bust than the typical LSU head coach. That he had a year of like the greatest team ever and then it kind of fell off a cliff. That's not necessarily like what LSU is. Les Miles was was a top 15 team with some peaks into the top 10 basic, like almost every year, every year, but two of his of his tenure at LSU. And so and and that's with LSU winning a national championship in there, playing in another national championship game within that Les Miles time frame. Should we view the Brian Kelly era at LSU as like turbocharged less miles, like less miles plus, where you're talking about a floor that is top 15, top 15 every year. And then maybe the peaks occur more frequently than they did under less miles. And if they're that, then I think they are three. Yeah. Then I think you're right here. Is that what you're thinking? That is what I'm thinking. I think that
1: LSU – probably has, even before Brian Kelly, one of the highest floors in college football, because you are in one of the most talent-rich states in the entire country, especially when you're looking at per capita, and you own it. You you completely own it. If there's a kid from Louisiana, there is a 90% chance that if you want him at LSU, that he's going to go to LSU. So you look at the recruiting terrain, you look at uh, the roster acquisition, and then you mix that with a coach. Who has been consistently very, 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 very good for a long time. I mean, we, you know, look, we, we kind of make jokes about Brian Kelly at this point. I think that, uh, he kind of overstayed his welcome a little bit at Notre Dame, but you know, he had that four and eight season, but 2015, they win 10 games. Here's where they go after that four and eight season. 10, 12, 11, 10, 11, 10. And that's at, uh, or well, the last 10 was at LSU. That's at Notre Dame, which is not a program that was winning 10 games every single year uh, before Brian Kelly took over that program. So I think that, uh, you know, one thing that I heard LSU fans say whenever they hired and were trying to talk themselves into Brian Kelly is, hey, our last three coaches have all won national championships and we just hired a coach who's clearly a better football coach than the last two that we had. and. They might be right. Like that might actually be real that, that Brian Kelly is a better football coach than their last two coaches at Orgeron and Les Miles. So for me, I, I just think that they're going to be a very stable program. We still have to wait and see what happens. Uh we'll still have to wait and see what happens when, um, whenever you do sort of uh, get to that national level. And can they beat those number one, number two, number three type teams? Can they win a national championship, especially in this era of supreme consolidation? But if you're talking year-to-year consistency, I, I mean, it's hard to bet against them.
0: Last Miles' 11 full seasons finished in the top 17 in the final AP poll, 9 of the 11, finished in the top 10 of the final AP poll, 5 of the 11 and had a national championship in there. I think you're right and I'm wrong. I'd LSU 4, but I think I'm wrong. So I will I will cede that victory to you. But now I'm curious who you have for because I think it has to be the team that I had 3. Who do you have for?
1: I'm curious who that team is. Uh for me, I've Oklahoma number 4. Okay.
0: That's who I had three. I had Oklahoma three, LSU four. And this becomes the conversation of how much of Oklahoma's identity and success was tied to its geographic and traditional place in college football. In the Big Eight, in the Big 12, in a place where it once had rivalries with schools like Nebraska and Oklahoma and and Colorado, excuse me where it had a rival, obviously an in-state rival with Oklahoma State and its main rivalry with Texas, and now they're moving with Texas. But this is a step up, and this I think is where the conversation gets really difficult because how good would Oklahoma have been if they would have been in the SEC this whole time? So when we think about conference wins the, the previous five years, Georgia and Alabama each have 37. Oklahoma was 32-12 and 12 in conference play the last five years. So that would be among the 16 teams that will be in the SEC in 2024. That would be third, the third most conference wins. LSU would be fourth with 27. But how much of that, Shahan, is beaten up on a Big 12 in a world where Texas has been a mess and just nobody else can hang – From a tradition standpoint, from a commitment standpoint, and by the way, they had a great coach. They had two great coaches back to back at Bob Stoops and Lincoln Riley. Is Oklahoma still going to be Oklahoma or is Oklahoma going to get to the SEC and kind of be like what Texas A&M has been or be like a version of of Florida or some other school? It's like, well, you can peak, but you're not that every year. I, that's where I think maybe I already misread Oklahoma. Maybe I gave them too much credit for doing what they've done in the Big 12. How how similar do you think this is going to be? Yeah, so to,
1: to answer your first question, I think that Oklahoma absolutely would have been a dominant team in the SEC. They wouldn't have... I think won the conference all that often, but they would have been a 10 win team. I think regardless of whether they played in the sec or the big 12, Uh, I think that uh, they still would have competed. I think for college football playoff spots, even though again, they would have been competing more for that four spots and, and not really for any of those higher spots. But the big question with me is, you know, if, if Lincoln Riley was leading this team into the sec, then I think that I would have them potentially number three, but he's not. You have a lot of movement on the roster. You've got a coach who hasn't succeeded so far. Uh, You know, there's a lot of work to do, I think, at the University of Oklahoma right now. And you expect it to happen. I mean, you you talk about programs in college football that have been good forever. Ohio State is the program that's been good forever forever. Oklahoma is a program that's half a step behind them. So like they're not going to fall off. They they are too well built like Ohio State. I think that they've got a great organization. They they I think have great administration. They know what it takes to win. And so I, I do think that Oklahoma is going to be fine, but there is not the level of guarantee at this point, uh, with this coaching staff, with this program, with this roster heading in to a conference that is completely southeastern based when historically they've had a flyover state based conference, uh, it, you know, and the one thing that I will say about Oklahoma is I think that they are willing to sacrifice year in and year out conference contention for the opportunity to leverage that into legitimate national contention because Oklahoma hasn't legitimately competed for a national championship since 2017 with that Baker Mayfield team. Uh, And really, you know, in a serious way since the 2000s with Sam Bradford. So I think that they're trying to make that concession and say we're okay with not winning 11 or 12 games every single year, but we need to – increase our, the profile of our program and become more of, you know, at times a boomer bust program to get to that highest stage, to have a chance to win a national championship, which is something that Oklahoma, one of the proudest programs in college football hasn't done since 2000.
0: In a 12 team playoff, the major conferences are, are really going to be looking at three. The SEC, the SEC is going to be looking at three playoff teams. I think minimum basically every year. And there are going to be times when there's four. And I'm not so sure there won't be times when there's five. Do you think if this is our – we agree on this top four. Starting in 2024, do you believe that Alabama, Georgia, LSU, and Oklahoma will all be very, very regular playoff participants in a 12-team playoff? Is there enough room – Because I do feel like there's a line after this top four in terms of there's a line after the top two, then there's LSU and Oklahoma in whatever order as the next two, and then there's another line. And if we are drawing that line, even if they're getting four, this all of a sudden would potentially create a very difficult world for the other 12 teams in the SEC because it's like, well, you know, that top four might be there more often than not. No, I think so. I, I think
1: that these four teams are going to uh, get the the majority of the SEC's uh, playoff berths. I think that they're going to be in contention pretty much every year. Uh, I, I think that, you know, obviously, again, we, we'll see the future of Alabama, like we mentioned. But, you know, in this world, let's, let's say from 24 to 26, 27, Georgia and Alabama are going to be there every single year. I think that at least one of LSU and Oklahoma is going to be there every year. And maybe you have a team, uh, you know, like this past year, it would have been Tennessee, for example. A couple of years ago in 2020, it would have been Texas A&M. I think you'll have maybe one uh move up from the pack to reach playoff contention. But I do agree. I think that at this moment, these are the four dominant programs in the SEC. Now, there are other programs further down the list, two especially that I'm looking at right now who I think – have the ability at their best uh to potentially move into this top group probably more than two probably three or four but uh but i think that when you look at the state of college football right now these are the four i think that these four are going to
0: relatively speaking be dominant against the rest of the field all right last break when we come back what about the other team joining the sec where does texas fit in we'll do that next after this the college football survivor show where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, back to rank the final 12 teams here. And this is where I put Texas. I put Texas fifth (laughs) and I don't know what I think about that. And I will tell you, I have Texas five and Florida six. Okay. And in doing a ranking like that, I'm like, are they the same program? Like, except Florida's had, a Steve Spurrier national title and an Urban Meyer peak that, you know, Mac, I don't know, but, you know, the best of Mac Brown was pretty darn good. And I mean, you know, 2005 season for Texas football is one of the great seasons in college football history. So aren't they similar? Do you have these two programs next on your list at five and six in some order? No, I don't. (laughs) So before you answer your question, then, are there are Texas and Florida similar as programs that have had peaks, but probably not as much consistent success as they should, considering they are gigantic state universities in talent hotbeds? Is that a fair Florida, Texas comparison? Because when I put them back to back here, I was like, man, it's crazy. They're going to be in the same conference. But man, it's kind of cool. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so I, I draw this distinction. I think that Florida is v- much more new money because Florida wasn't <clears throat> that kind of program until the 90s. Right. Like th- they weren't a nationally competitive program until that point. Texas has been, you know, Texas since the 50s and 60s. And I think the other part of this is Texas is the sort of flagship of Texas, of course. Uh I, I think that it has even advantages that uh that Florida doesn't have. But I think that Florida is much better run than Texas is. So that's like that's why I can't make that comparison. Cause I think that you just have so many outside factors that impact Texas. Whereas I think that Florida uh I, I just think that they do their jobs better, frankly. Now, maybe, maybe the thing is you you mentioned it. I mean, you go Steve Spurrier, you go Urban Meyer; those are two of the greatest coaches to ever do it. Maybe that's just what Florida was was. It's a you know, it's a really great situation with some really great coaching hires uh, over a short period of time. I don't know. I mean, we haven't, we haven't seen that happen during the twenty ten to the same extent, right? Jim McElwain was fine. They were a really good SEC East program that was nowhere near the BAMAs of the world. Dan Mullen was fine and then really collapsed. Billy Napier's early returns haven't been very good. And he was a hire that I was very excited about. Uh, so, you know, I mean, it, it's probably closer than I give it credit for. I actually have Florida 6, and I have Texas
0: 8. Florida 6, which is where I have Florida, and you have Texas 8. Okay, so let's continue this Florida-Texas conversation then. I do think if Urban Meyer, when he left Utah, had been hired by Texas instead of hired by Florida, would Texas have those two national titles – and the Heisman winner and Tim Tebow or some Tim Tebow type. Is there anything inherent? Because Urban Meyer, you know, his best recruiting class at Florida, he got the number one recruit in like six different states, right? Yes, he recruited Florida, but he went out and recruited other places too. Is that just an Urban Meyer conversation? That you could have dropped that version of Urban Meyer at that point in time in his career into maybe five to ten top-level programs with resources, commitment, and a recruiting base, and he would have done that anywhere. And that that success is not really about Florida and is not something that we should consider in something like this when you're thinking about the health of the overall program.
1: I mean, it's an interesting question, right, because I view – the success and the consistency, relatively speaking, that Florida has as a good omen, right? Cause I, I think again, we talked about this with LSU. Uh, when I look at the health of that program, it's not about titles for me. It's about how consistently I think that they've had the ability to win 10 games. And you look at Florida for most of the 2010s. I mean, there was the must champ years, which were not good, not good, but. You know, the McElwain years, they won 10 and 9. The Mullen years, they won 10, 11, and, you know, 8, which was a little bit of a misleading 8 because they just played in the SEC title game and lost a bowl game. So, like, this is a program that's won 10 games quite a bit. I do think a question is going to be, uh in a post-SEC East world where Georgia is a superpower, I mean, how much of also was the, you know, the the late 2000s and especially maybe the early 2010s Florida how much of that was beating up on a bad SEC East because Georgia was not Georgia at that point um Tennessee has been you know was a mess so you know it's it's a totally fair question i think to to ask those sort of existential questions and maybe i give too much credit to florida and not enough to texas i i don't know maybe that's the case but i i view florida as a more Stable situation. I view it as a place that typically has not had the lows, the outside distractions of a place like Texas. And so, uh, and, and the other part of it too is that, you know, I. I really don't especially believe in the the staff that Texas has right now. I, I don't necessarily think that this is going to be the staff that gets them to success. But I might be wrong. I mean, we're gonna. I think maybe even figure that out in 2023. I think that Texas has a team that if things do go well, will win 10 games. But I don't know. I mean, it's not like Florida has that either. And and frankly, the the questions I have about both of these staffs is actually why I have them six and eight
0: and not probably five and six. So, probably short answer on this because this is a separate pod. Again, we're all basing this off the health of the program in 2024. Do you believe Florida will be the best program in Florida in 2024 compared to Florida State and Miami and maybe even UCF? Uh, ooh, that is a really good question. That might be more of a Florida State question than anything else. Yeah. But yeah.
1: yeah I, I think that in this moment and all we have is this moment. We don't have anything more to judge it on. I would put Florida State half a step ahead of Florida, but I think that it will be Florida State and Florida, and then a pretty sizable gap to everybody
0: else. All right. Same question for Texas. In the state of Texas in 2024. Will Texas be the healthiest football program at that point, or will it be Texas A&M? Will it be TCU, who just played for a national title? Will it be Baylor, who has been closer to the playoff in recent years than Texas has been? How do you think that state shakes out?
1: Yeah, I I think that there is a very small chance that Texas is the healthiest program in 2024. Now, again, 2023 is going to happen, and that could change things, but you look at, I mean, do the thing, right, that we're talking about. Look back at the last five years. You could not make the case that Texas is anywhere near the healthiest program in the state of Texas, right? I mean, Baylor would rank ahead of them. TCU would rank ahead of them. Texas A&M would rank ahead of them at this point. I, I think that, like, you're almost having, a, you know, a, a, not to get crazy, but, you know, you you almost can have conversations in terms of program health with SMU in Houston, uh, when it comes to comparing them to Texas. Now, obviously, Texas is better. They have more advantages, all that sort of stuff. But I mean, Texas was five and seven in 2021. So, you know, and they've lost five games this past year. Steve Sarkisian as a coach has still never lost fewer than four games in a season. He's only won nine games one time. So I I have lots of questions about what Texas is doing here. They have to deliver, I think, in 2023 to answer some of these questions. And I will say if Texas goes and wins 10 games and plays in the Big 12 title game in 2023, I think that they can move up and they can be that number five team. I, I don't think that that's ridiculous. I'm just waiting for them to do it. I'm not giving them that credit until they do it.
0: So we both have Florida six. One of the things – I think you have to take into account that in the moment Florida is in the news for screwing up an NIL thing, which you – everybody's still trying to figure that out. But sort of the black mark, the how it can go wrong of college football and NIL right now is pointing straight at Florida. So Billy Napier has to navigate that. I think there's some belief here by me. We both have Florida 6 that we liked the Billy Napier hire when it was made. Year one. okay, we get it. It's year one. They're also losing an extraordinarily talented quarterback in Anthony Richardson, who has a chance to go and replacing him with an
1: extraordinarily untalented quarterback in Graham Mertz.
0: Yeah, so that that they got to figure that out. But I think I'm banking a little bit on Billy Napier and the idea that still Florida, I think, is maybe ascending again, at least back to the best of Dan Mullen level not the Urban Meyer level. So we kind of agreed generally on Florida there. We both have them at six. Texas, this to me, some of this is Arch Manning. That of all the great big things, I at least have an idea of, I know who Texas's quarterback is going to be in 2024. It's either going to be fourth year Quinn Ewers or second year Arch Manning. I like that than most of the other teams below them here. And I believe, this is a belief again, that Texas... Can be, should be ascending, that 2022 had some flashes, 2023 can be more consistent, and maybe they are really building towards something in 2024. I understand why you do not have them there, but I am very curious to the question of this state. So I'll just ask you this now. Where do you have Texas A&M on your list?
1: Yeah. Well, first I have to say, uh, sorry. I think that your audio just got mixed up with, uh, from the 2019 off season and maybe the 2015 off season. And I think maybe the 2010 off season. I, sorry. I, I don't know. It's just, it, it's weird how that happens sometimes. I don't know. Oh my gosh. You, I just need people to understand that Arch Manning is the second highest rated quarterback on the roster because Quinn Ewers was substantially higher and they lost five games with him anyway. I just need people to understand that this idea that a quarterback recruit is going to come in and change everything actually isn't that thrilling to me. Because by the way, it's super easy to be a quarterback whisperer when you just have the number one quarterback recruits of all time. Right. Like, and, and just wait for them to already be good. The whole point of being a quarterback whisperer is that you're supposed to make them good. And we have the number one quarterback ever and he wasn't any good this year. I, anyway, anyway, this is all beside the point. This is all beside the point.
0: <laughs> well, had him eight. So it, all, all to be said that you ranking them eight is actually quite a nod to Texas. They should celebrate an eight from Shahan J. Haraja. I, w- I will tell you what, like Texas, there is no question. I want to be clear.
1: That Texas, when they're rolling and when they have things figured out, is in that top four conversation, is higher than that. They can be Georgia or Alabama with a Kirby Smart or with a Nick Saban. The thing is, they trip over rakes too much to ever be in that situation. So it's really less about the, the potential of Texas as a football program, and it's more about Texas as an entity. And what they're going to do. And are they going to put their coaches and players in positions to succeed? And I don't have a good answer for that question. Texas A&M was a very hard one for me to place. A very hard one for me to place. Because I didn't want to overreact to this past season. I I don't want to do that. But at the same time, I mean, it is a two-year trajectory at this point right where you have a disappointing 8 and 4 team in 2021 you have a 5 and 7 team this year you lose a quarter of the the scholarship players on your roster to the transfer portal and you have a coach who had to hire Bobby Petrino to try to save his offense i have them at number 11
0: okay i thought maybe i was like do you have texas a&m 5th no. i have texas a&m 10th i think they are descending i think this is potentially uh, a year where everything explodes and they'll have a new coach in 2024.
1: <laughs> Who are, are you going to pay the $76 million buyouts? Uh, I
0: think They're not going to, I mean, if they go three and nine.
1: They went five and seven this year and there wasn't even a discussion because they can't pay that money.
0: I know. Get back to me when they're one and 11. <laughs> Get back to me when they're one and 11.
1: Oh man. Oh man. I, I'll have to buy a house in College Station to go cover that team if they go one and 11 with Jimbo. <laughs>
0: we—the uh, we, uh, assumption of an implosion at Texas A&M is not a bad assumption. No, 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 no. You can look at, you know, recent success and in the previous five years they're twenty-three and eighteen in SEC conference play, which is tied for the fifth best record. So, or just the fifth best record on its own. So, like, okay, well, the best of Texas A&M—they thought they should have been a playoff team in the pandemic year. That's not that far away. The best of Texas A&M should be in the top five probably but we are not assuming the best of texas a&m with the way things are going right now
1: okay. and and by the way and by the way um i have some questions about the fact that texas a&m suddenly got incredibly worse once kevin Sumlin's players left the program when it's all mm. jimbo fisher's players now because that 2020 team especially on offense all Sumlin kids kellen mond uh jamon osbon uh The entire offensive line outside of Kenyon Green, four out of five starters on that offensive line, all Kevin Sumlin guys. And you've got all these great recruiting classes and none of these players are getting any better. What's going on here, man? What's going on?
0: Okay, so you don't have Florida five. You don't have Texas five and you don't have Texas A&M five. Who do you have five? Again, we got
1: to be very clear about what this game is right it's about 2024 it's about which program is going to be the healthiest heading into it I take into account not just short-term and long-term success but the the state of their coaching situation the state of their program what they're doing this might be reactionary but I do have an orange UT at number five and that would be the Tennessee Volunteers
0: so we talked on the podcast about recruiting classes that Tennessee did seem to use some of its momentum from this season. They got a big-time quarterback in this class from California. To have them fifth here, I have them seventh. I think Florida and Tennessee is an interesting comparison, right? Like, why would I have Florida ahead of Tennessee? Like, with you, it's relatively new coaches, and Tennessee seems to be building on its success. I'm... Five to seven is not a huge gap. I've held a little bit back for, I don't want to say that it's a fluke, but was this a peak, a peak that will not be a sustainable peak, that I don't know that Tennessee in 2024 is going to be in the absolute thick of the playoff conversation. They might be good, but I think maybe the peaks of Texas or Florida or teams like that could be higher two seasons from now. So I don't think we have a huge disagreement on Tennessee because even you're saying – this might be a little too much based off them having a really good year in 2022.
1: Sure. So, and and I think for me, the way that I'm trying to look at it, right? Because like you said, there's peaks and there's valleys. There's there's the 100th percentile. There's the 0th percentile. I think I'm trying to get a feel of that that 40 to 60% range. That's, I think, where I'm trying to evaluate teams. Their most likely situation, I'd say. And so for me, I think that Tennessee, the way that they play, doesn't have a high ceiling. I don't think it has a title caliber ceiling, but I think it has a much higher floor than anything that Tennessee's done in quite a while. I think it's got a higher floor than what uh, than what Florida's doing right now. The way that they run their team, I think they that Florida really will depend on getting great linemen in there, and that's no guarantee in the SEC. Uh, you know, I think I think Texas again very boomer bust system. If you've got if you've got that dude at quarterback, if you've got that dude at receiver, and by that I mean literally a first round draft pick at quarterback and the Heisman winner at receiver, Steve Sarkeesian looks pretty dang good. But I think that a lot has to be right for that system to work as precisely as it needs to. And with Tennessee, I think there's more margin of error with Josh Heupel's season, uh, with, with uh, Josh Heupel's uh, uh, offense, and they do obviously have a track record of of good work with quarterbacks uh, during Josh Heupel's time at Tennessee. We saw what Hendon Hooker turned into this year. We've seen Joe Milton have some success. I, I kind of think that Joe Milton's only going to be okay. And 23 might be a little bit more of a bridge year where they win eight or nine games. Then they got Nico taking over, man, in 2024. And it's not just the talent, because we talked about it uh, with Texas. Texas has two number one quarterback recruits Uh, on the roster right now but I think it's also just the way that Tennessee has deployed their weapons uh, under Josh Heupel I think has been really smart and really effective and and I think that yeah you know this is the thing that you always have to remember with a coach who has a lot of success in their first or second year and starts recruiting well and also by the way Tennessee uh, might help a little bit that they are killing it right now on the NIL front Uh, I think that that is something long-term for their program that will be significant but I think that, you know, when you look at a coach in year one or year two, a lot of the time they're doing that with their least talented teams. I think that Tennessee's 2021 and 2022 squads are going to be some of their least talented teams under Josh Heupel. And they're going to get more talented as receivers want to play in this offense, as quarterbacks want to play in this offense, as offensive linemen want to play in this offense. So I think, again, I don't see Tennessee as a very likely candidate to move consistently into that top four. But I think that uh that their floor I think is pretty high. And I see a pathway to winning about nine games a year, which is I think really good. I think really, really good in this new SEC.
0: Again, th- there's some three last teams are gonna get in 12 team playoff. So like if you go nine and three in the SEC with a couple good wins, you're going to be in that mix. I think we're, we're having a little bit of a floor-ceiling discussion here. I think best, 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 best case scenarios, maybe Texas and Florida have higher ceilings, but who's more likely to be there? I yeah. think Tennessee, you make a good every, case every for Every
1: discussion on our podcast actually just comes back to the same discussion where I'm like, I want to see it. And you're like, but the potential, but the potential.
0: Yeah. <laughs> No, I I think that's right. I think there is a lens in which you view college football, and I think it does affect how we do all these kind of rankings. So I had Texas five. You have Tennessee five. We both have Florida six. I have Tennessee seven. Who do you have seven?
1: This is this is my uh, my kind of out there one. Actually, I've got two probably kind of uh, out there ones. I have Kentucky number seven
0: that is kind of an out there one. I have Kentucky 11 and I guess the question is do you believe that there is a peak out there for Kentucky that we have not seen or this is is this Kentucky just continuing to be a really solid they, they did go 10 and 3 in 2021 yes. and finished 18th in the final AP poll and they have been they were as high as 7th in the AP poll this year, in which they went seven and six. When you look at the last five years of Kentucky, seven and six, ten and three, five and six, eight and five, ten and three. If you're ranking them as the seventh best program in the SEC, I guess that's an eight to nine win program. Is that what you're thinking? Kentucky can be consistently.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's what it is. It's that they know who they are. It's that you know we we use that phrase, program health. This is maybe, outside of Georgia, the healthiest program in the SEC. They know exactly what they are. They know exactly what they're recruiting to. They know exactly what they're trying to develop. They, they consistently have some of the best defenses in the entire country. They've managed to bamboozle quarterbacks into thinking that they should go there for some reason. Uh, and they, uh, they have Liam Cohen coming back, which I think is actually going to be really significant for them. He did a fantastic job uh, in previous years. So, I mean, look, is this a team that's going to win 11 games all that often? No, no, they're not. But when you look at most likely outcomes, I think that, yes, this is going to be a team that wins eight to nine games very consistently that does have the ability to, uh, to pop every so often. Again, they've done a good job with quarterbacks. I think that's going to be something that people are going to keep an eye on. Um, and, and I think that recruits will keep an eye on as well. And, and so. You know, the the big question I think that's going to impact them is how much investment exactly are they going to continue to put into football in terms of, is there more there? Is there more opportunity for them to continue to, you know, on the NIL front to try to get in with some of these top players? Is there opportunity uh, for them to to continue to develop their facilities and all that sort of stuff? That's probably the existential question uh, versus a Florida or a Texas where you know that that is not going to be an issue. But, I mean, you look at the consistency. And, again, you have to take into account the likelihood of a staff rolling in 2024. I am confident that Mark Stoops is going to be the coach in 2024, and I am confident that he's going to be coaching at a high level in 2024, and I do not feel that way about either Florida or Texas. I think that those are much more variable situations.
0: Kentucky, the previous five years, 20 and 22, an SEC conference play that's tied for sixth. In the last seven years, they've only had one losing record overall. That was the pandemic year. And they have two 10-win seasons in the last five years under Mark Stoops. So that is, I probably have them too low, especially since I was all excited about their coordinators when we did the coordinator combo pod. I have Tech, Kentucky 11. That probably is too low. But also, just when you talk about peaks, Steve Sarkeesian should hang this in the Texas locker room. Seven, Kentucky, eight, Texas in Shahan do, J. SEC rankings. If, if
1: Steve Sarkeesian can change everything by just putting up a criticism of me saying that his program isn't good enough, then he should have already won multiple national titles, man. I've given him so much ammo and here we are. Here we are. Here we
0: are. But but you're no Kentucky in football. <laughs> Might be as good of as good ammo as you've well, ever given Well, to them. be
1: fair, to be fair, Kentucky is no Texas in basketball.
0: That's true. <laughs> Could you, like, if you go get the genie right now and offer him the switch, like, what do you really want to be good at? Uh, okay. We'll run through. So that's our top eight, except I haven't given my eight, and I think I have this team too high. I have Old Miss Eight and like the peak of Old Miss was two years ago when they were number 12 undefeated early in the year going into the Alabama game in week four. And I was like, I don't know, I don't know. And then they went for it on fourth down like five times in the first half and didn't make any of them. I was like, well, there goes that. So what, I guess the question is, I think I am perhaps believing there's still, they just hired Pete Golding. Lane Kiffin sort of reconfirmed he's going to be there after basically, I guess, not getting the Auburn job. Do I feel... Mistakenly believe there's an Old Miss peak that we have not yet seen when maybe actually we've seen exactly what Old Miss football is going to be under Lane Kiffin. And why would that change in the next couple years? Am I having them eight? Do I have a misperception of a team? that has been eight and five, 10 and three and five and five in the three years of Lane Kiffin, which again is pretty darn good. But do I have them too high at eighth?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, you know, of course the peak of Ole Miss football is being not as good at Baylor. Uh, of course we do have to remember that, but uh, no, I, I have Ole Miss number nine. I think that you will have them right in the right range. Uh, again, again, because I think that they have a staff that I believe in, and that I believe is going to to you know <laughs> this is a dangerous game with Lane Kiffin that I believe is going to be around in 2024 and functioning at a high level. But you know, I, I think that I think that Lane Kiffin has kind of accepted his role. I think that he's understanding uh maybe the best ways for Ole Miss to succeed in terms of using the portal, in terms of being aggressive in recruiting. They've done a great job i think of scheming and developing on the offensive side of the ball uh, by the way quinshawn judkins their their freshman running back is still going to be around in 2024 which is insane because he is so talented uh and i think that when you look at them versus the 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 latter half of the sec because i actually think that the the bottom half of the sec is much more interesting uh for this discussion actually um i think that they are the Head of the bottom half. I think that do they have the ceiling? It's a good question. I do think that they have the ability to have a standout year, right? Like maybe you get the year they had Walker, uh, Walker Howard come in at quarterback. Maybe you get his third year on campus, multiple years starting. You just get like a great season from him and they push for 10 wins or 11 wins. I, I think that's definitely possible. Um, they've been playoff caliber in terms of a 12 team playoff in the past couple of years i don't think that's going to change frankly if they had a quarterback who they trusted a little more this year because i don't think jackson dart is very good then they might have been a borderline 10-win team this year you know they they had a good start to the year and then people figured out that they couldn't throw so i think that i think that there absolutely is upside here you know we We talk about winning 10 games in in 2021 and, and eight in 2022 as, oh, well, you know, that's okay. That's really good for what Ole Miss has been historically. And I think that 2022 was a little bit of a transition year, and I expect 2023 to be a little better. And I think that by 2024, you are potentially talking about a program that is going to be competitive against everybody.
0: The bottom is kind of interesting, but this is a playoff show. There's only one other program that I want to spend any time on that we have not yet talked about yet. And I want to know where you have Auburn in your ranking. I have them number 12, one spot behind XA&M. So I have Auburn 13. And it's because Brian, the Brian Harson situation was a mess and a miss. And I just don't have faith right now in the Hugh Freeze hire. I, I don't. There are two programs here. I think Texas A&M and Auburn are very different. One's a guy, who's, Jimbo's been there a while, but I just think they're headed for an implosion. And Hugh Freeze just got there, but I feel like maybe this is not going to work. But I do think, and I want to do this before we leave, how many of these 16 SEC teams do we believe that their peak gets them in a 12-team playoff? Because I do think Texas A&M and Auburn both fit that bill. And I have Texas A&M ten and Auburn thirteen. You have Texas A&M eleven and Auburn twelve. But would you agree that the best of Auburn is a twelve-team playoff serious contender?
1: Absolutely. And I'll uh, say my number ten team is South Carolina um, because I think that I like what they're building. But I don't think South Carolina's peak is a uh, is a college football playoff. I think that all of the other teams that I have between one and twelve outside of South Carolina. Their peak Kentucky. Uh, well, Kentucky. You Kentucky. think Kentucky? Uh, that's tough. That's tough. Okay. No, I wouldn't have them. I wouldn't have them in a I think they could be playoff adjacent, but I don't necessarily know that they could get into a playoff. But you know, I, I think yes, and M and Auburn absolutely have a ceiling of that. The other part that I'll say is that I think that you know it's tougher now, but Auburn has the ceiling of a national championship, even now today. And I wouldn't say that about Ole Miss. I am hesitant to say that about Texas A&M because we haven't really seen it, you know, but it's Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Oklahoma, I think absolutely. Florida, absolutely. Texas, absolutely. And I think Auburn. And that might be the entire list of teams from the SEC that are capable of winning a national title. So look, Auburn is a mess right now. Auburn is a total freaking mess. And, uh, you know, (laughs) I talked about Texas kind of being a mess. Auburn is a mess. They have, I think, very poor leadership. We'll see if that changes with John Cohen coming in from Mississippi State. They uh, they didn't inspire any faith in me with their Hugh Freeze hire. Like uh, seriously, like that's that's the best that Auburn University could do is hiring Hugh Freeze from Liberty, a, a disgraced former SEC coach who all Miss was like, yeah, we're we're tired of this, we're done with this. I don't know. I mean, they've recruited very well since Hugh Freeze came in, but he's going to have to coach football games too and keep this going. And it's not going to be all, you know, sunshine and rainbows once you're losing to, to Alabama, right? So it's, I don't know. It's just such a bizarre situation for Auburn. I feel like the Hugh Freeze experiment is doomed to fail at some point, And it probably will be around 2024 that it fails. And then maybe you get a chance to reset, but we're talking about health of the program in 2024. I am not excited uh, about what Auburn has going on right now. And by the way, there is so much revisionist history on what Hugh Freeze did at Ole Miss the first time because he beat Alabama twice. Like they were, they were fine other than that. They were a good program, but I mean, come on, you know, that they, they were not that kind of program. They were not, he, he wasn't uh, coaching programs that were going to win the national championship or even, I mean, like maybe his 2014 team would have gotten in as the 11 seed in a playoff, but I don't know. He had two teams that uh, that finished ranked in the final AP top twenty five in five years. They went five and seven his final year there. Like, I just I just don't feel good about this. If they had hired Lane Kiffin instead of Hugh Freeze, um, you know, and and look, we can there's going to be reporting back and forth about whether Lane turned them down or whether you know whatever it was. But it, you know, regardless, if they hired Lane Kiffin, I'd have them probably closer to the Texas range at eight or nine. But they hired Hugh Freeze,
0: and if that's the best they can do, I don't feel amazing about that. So let's rip through the bottom of our lists just for me. I had after I had Old Miss eight, I had South Carolina nine, Texas A and M ten, Kentucky eleven, Arkansas twelve, Auburn thirteen, Missouri fourteen, Mississippi State fifteen, and Vanderbilt sixteen. What's the bottom of your list, Shahan? You have. South Carolina ten, Texas A&M eleven, Auburn twelve. What's your final four? I have Arkansas
1: thirteen. I think that one's firm. I think that they're ahead above the other three teams. I have yeah, I have Mississippi State fourteen. I I think that obviously, look, this is so much outside of football. If like, I'd feel much more confident about this if if obviously Mike Leach was still coaching this team. Um, you know, thoughts and prayers with his family, of course. Uh, you know, Zach Garnett has done a good job. I don't love just promoting a guy. I understand why you did it, but I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll see with that, but I think that program wise, Mississippi State is still 14 to me, uh, Missouri 15. I'll get back to that in a second Vanderbilt 16.
0: You don't have to get back to it. It's okay. No, no, I,
1: I need to. I, I, no, I, I, I need to, I need to show. They're fine. They're fine. What exactly is Missouri doing here? Like, what? what is... what? But they're not competing for a playoff. It doesn't matter. Does it matter? I just... This is, like, the most interesting thing about this future SEC deal is, like, congratulations, Missouri. You're going to be cashing checks and doing absolutely nothing with them. Like, what is the point? You're not playing anybody that you care about. Nobody else cares about playing you. Like, what is the point of this? This is, like, the most... I, I don't want to, like, I, I'm look, I, I'm sure people go to, you know, to the games and enjoy themselves and all that sort of stuff. But, like, Missouri is the most, like, we're just here program in college football right now. Like, is there any joy with Missouri football? Is there anything fun? They haven't pulled a big upset in forever. They haven't done it. Like, what's the point? Uh, just go. Th- this is the sort of, like, perfect program where I'm like, would it actually be worse for you to be in, like, the ACC or the big 12 or the a- the AAC like the big 12 like would that actually be worse for them they make way less money but they play teams that they care about they still chant about Kansas and they haven't played Kansas in a decade because nobody cares about them they built a trophy uh with the with Arkansas and Missouri to try to get them to care and nobody cares it's crazy
0: that was, that was two minutes too long for a program that nobody cares about.
1: Oh, they
0: deserve
1: better. They deserve better.
0: I'm not on a playoff show. You <laughs> did the teams that you think in the 16-team SEC can win a national championship. Let me double-check with you if we believe these are the teams whose peaks can get them into a 12-team playoff sooner than later. Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Florida, Texas, Old Miss, Texas A&M, and Auburn. Do you agree with that? I do. I, I think that there is an
1: outside chance that Arkansas could get there. But I think that they are right on the board. I think that they are the line.
0: So then the six we don't have in there are Kentucky, South Carolina, Arkansas – Mississippi State, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. Because the issue is, is not only how good and talented you are in a year, but how many other teams you have to climb over to be the fourth SEC team in a 12-team playoff. And if you're Arkansas, that means you've got to be better than at least most of LSU, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Florida, Texas, Old Miss, Texas A&M, and Auburn in a given year. And I just think that's a, that's hard to do. But to have 10 of your 16 Think, Yeah, no, your peak can be that is pretty darn good for this new league that's going to take shape in 2024. I'll be curious where we arrive in a similar discussion about the Big Ten. How many of those 16 teams would we believe that their peaks would get them into a 12 team playoff for the new era? The new era is coming. This was based on what's going to happen in 2024. We have maybe a cool like kind of playoff era draft thing that I think we might do on our other free show this week, but we're so glad you guys are here with us again, two free shows a week for the College Football Survivor Show. Wherever you're listening to podcasts, you will find us and you will also will find Shahan's work at cbsports.com. All right. That was worth it. I want to I want to get a handle on this new league cuz we, now we know it's coming for sure in 2024. We'll continue to talk about the playoff all off season. For Shahan Jeharaja, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show where playoff survival is always on the line.